The following content has been provided by RWTH Aachen University. All right, good. And uh, the roadmap for now, to come back to what I was saying at the beginning of the class, uh, we've talked about sort of the human, the cognition parts here. We've talked about human performance models, um, models of interaction like affordances, mappings, constraints, knowledge types, errors, and all that kind of stuff. Um, we've talked about some design principles derived from these human things. And you can say, in a way, um, you know, that's always true, right? These things work no matter what user base you work with, whether you're designing something for an office workplace or for an industrial setting, for private use, for kids, for adults, whatever, for the elderly, it doesn't matter. Um, we talked about the seven stages of action and those kinds of uh, things. And then we moved to the second part, which was sort of the um, look back at some systems, right? So the history of HCI, in a way, um, with some visions and phases of, of technology life cycles. Um, and we're now going to enter into the third part, which is the design process. So we're covering um, things like how do you do iterative design, how do you do user observation, how do you develop ideas for a user interface, how do you prototype, how are user studies um, conducted, and how do you write down what you decide in an interface design. Because it's also a tricky thing to actually capture these things in writing so they become part of a specification. So we're basically uh, done with the cognition part. Um, we've covered the history part, and we're now going to be cover um, entering that third part of the class. And this should be fun, because this will be very um, hands-on and will actually give you a lot of interesting tools and techniques to really make great, e great user interfaces. So let's start with the wrong way to design user interfaces. That was basically, for a long time, a typical model that you would find when a uh, software company was starting a client product uh, or a project with a client. Um, the waterfall model is you know, really, really old, uh, has been used for a long time in software development, and is probably something that you guys have still heard about. Who has heard about the waterfall model in some class? Yeah, okay, there you go. Um, so, you know, analysis, design, implementation, test, maintenance, you know, with, with these milestones. And it's called waterfall model because kind of like the process drops down these steps, right? And it's, it's obvious that this doesn't really work well. It, it actually never worked well, not even back in the past. But these days, it's become harder and harder to work with this model and still get a usable product out of it. One reason is, of course, that the phases are idealistic, right? You uh, think that once you have sort of captured the, um, the design in your like, requirement specification um, you know, through your analysis process, that you never need to go back and change that. But in reality, you need to backtrack. You need to go back because things change. Um, for example, you might not have captured everything about a workplace situation that you actually need to understand in order to build the best um, system for it. So you need to actually change that because you didn't get it all in the first place. Or you have you got everything right in the first place, and then you start developing, and then some technology changes. You know, I don't know. Apple releases the iPad Pro. All of a sudden, you know, your client says, "Oh, but I want to use a pencil." So you need to go back and you know rethink how your interface works when you were designing for, I don't know, a normal iPad before. So things change in the environment. Things change with client re uh, um, requirements, and um, that's why these phases are very real. Uh, you know, idealistic. 
Um, the other thing is that with this model, it's very tempting to develop um, usage scenarios that are very abstract, that are very um, generic. So you have this like, you know, generic business user that always does everything right. They never make mistakes and they always know everything about the system. They read the manual. So there's your first crazy assumption, right? The user that actually read the manual. Um, and so these abstract assumptions make it very easy to design a system where you're like, oh, that's going to work fine with my user because they know all this and they, they can use it and they are fully concentrated and all that stuff. Um, and the problem with these, um, with these things is you need to backtrack, but if you discover a mistake fairly late in the process, it's really expensive to go back up. You know, some companies would use this model and basically the only time they would talk to the client in much detail would be at the beginning. And then you end up with like this gigantic requirements specification and then you sort of, you know, put on your uh, flaps and you go and you develop and you don't talk to the user anymore. You don't talk to the client anymore very much. And then you deliver the system and then they're like, oh, that's great, but not exactly what we need. And you just spend, you know, like two years of or, or hundreds of person months in, in developing the system. So if you then discover that you're off the mark, that you did something that doesn't, doesn't actually make sense, even though it technically works, it's really expensive to go back up and, and fix that and change it because you implemented stuff for nothing, pretty much. So instead, um, what we'll be talking about in this class and what my name for this has been for the last, I don't know, 15 years or so, um, is the DIA cycle. What that means is basically um, it is an iteration on your design, on your idea, on how your interface looks, how your system works for the user um, over these three phases. Um, a design phase, an implementation phase, and an analyze phase. You could also call it design, implement, evaluate, but then it's the die cycle, and I thought that was kind of a bad name for it. So um, implementation, by the way, I know you guys are already seeing like an open file with like C++ code or Java code in there. Uh, not necessarily, right? This doesn't have to be code that you implement. Implement just means you build something. You build some kind of prototype. It could be code. It could also be something else. It doesn't even need to involve a computer, scary as that may sound. Um, so it's a cycle because usually you need many iterations to go through this before you're actually done. And uh, with each iteration, hopefully stuff happens, right? Stuff improves. So your design actually becomes more concrete, more precise, more like the final product that you want to develop. Um, but also your analysis and your user feedback in the beginning will be about very general, very broad questions. Like, do we need a mobile app? Do we need a desktop app? You know, what, what is the general interaction that we imagine with the system? Uh, modalities like voice, gesture, whatever. Um, and then later on, you decide on smaller and smaller things, like should I add this dialogue or do we need these options up in the main menu or can it be hidden away under some um, options panel or something. Um, so you fo your focus on your analysis and the feedback that users give you hopefully becomes more and more detailed and focus on smaller and smaller issues. So you fix the big problems first. Your implementation, your prototype also gets more detailed and technically complex. So in the beginning, it's maybe just a sketch on, on paper. And then as you move along, it becomes something 
um, like a screenshot prototype, you know, a couple of slides basically, and then it becomes um, a, a, a prototype and software that maybe actually develops into the full system in the end, um, or maybe you change technologies again as you, as you go. Like building an, a user interface prototype in, in, in JavaScript, HTML, and then moving to, I don't know, um, Swift Xcode for, for a full Mac application or something. Um, so the idea is you fix the big design bugs first, you fix the small ones later. And that's important because, as you just saw in the last slide, if you don't do that, then you have a lot of cost as you go back late in the design cycle to fix a big mistake because you've done all this follow-up work that goes in the wrong direction. So um, in your projects that you've got, you guys have been doing, um, you will actually experience, and you've already started to experience, that cycle. So for example, uh, the assignments that you have and some of the in-class activities that we'll be doing are for like, things like brainstorming, storyboarding, prototyping, user observation, testing. So they're all part of the DIA cycle activities. Um, you feed those things back into your project design. So you're running through several iterations of that cycle as we go. And um, we should make clear that what we're doing here in class is going to be fairly limited, right? We do maybe two or three iterations. In real projects that are full-blown, uh, we'll have more of those, right? So it will be more like, um, I don't know, five, six iterations, How however many you need until you actually get to your system. If you look at um, agile software development, for example, uh, that's an example where the software engineering community has picked up this idea of being highly iterative about your design and does that in many, many cycles on like a bi-weekly basis, you run through one of those cycles. This content was provided by RWTH, Aachen University.